Spirit of the living God fall fresh on us. Amen. Please be seated. Pentecost is sometimes referred to as the birthday of the church. And around here, I like to encourage such silliness. Thanks to all of you who wore your red, even your cardinal's gear. If you haven't yet, check out Mary Chapman's shoes. Uh, They are glitzy. After the service, we're going to have a parade outside and a birthday cake. It's even a red velvet cake, red being the color. Susan Norris gets bonus points for organizing such an appropriate cake. We'll celebrate with cake and special prayers and parades because it's important to mark such a moment. I believe it's appropriate to call Pentecost a birthday because we celebrate a moment nearly 2,000 years ago when something new burst forth in the life of the world. A gathering of believers were empowered to continue the work of Jesus, the work of God continuing to unfold in our world. I was recently in the Cathedral Basilica down in the Central West End for a concert. The weight of that building is impressive. The neo-Byzantine architecture makes a heavy impression. And I had quite a bit of time to admire because I was there for a choral concert The group performed Tomas Luis de Victoria's entire 16th century setting of the Requiem Mass. It was exquisite, but it also gave me a lot of time to look around. (laughs) The mosaics in the basilica are striking, both for their vast size and the amazing diversity they represent. Some of them appear to be copies of 4th or 5th century art. The seraphim flying around the central dome could have come off a wall in Turkey or Greece. But in the west transept, the arm of the cathedral to your left as you face the high altar, the ceiling art's different. It looks like it might have come out of a 1960s or 70s children's Bible. And the faces are round and pleasant. I bring it up because the image depicted in that west transept is the day of Pentecost. Mary and the disciples are seated around and tongues of flame float over their heads. The tongues are tiny in the mosaic. The tongues above their heads are about the size of the tongues you'd imagine could be in their mouths. It looks like the disciples were sitting down for a picnic when funny little flickers of light appeared above them. If you can't tell, I take a bit of an issue with that depiction. I'm not sure it captures the drama that we hear about in our first reading, that drama that was captured by so many people joining in in other languages. For me, those tiny tongues, with those tiny tongues, the stakes are just too low. My favorite depiction of the story from our reading in Acts is found in a stained glass window in the Washington National Cathedral. And before I describe it, I've got to come clean. I first thought it was a window of the Pentecost. It wasn't originally meant to represent the coming of the Holy Spirit, I learned later. The window centers on an abstract flowering tree surrounded by flames. 
At the very top of the window, you can see an image from my home state of Colorado, which is a clue to what the window is actually commissioned for. There's a triangular chapel, which represents the big church at the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. The window was commissioned to honor the Air Force. The story it depicts comes from the life of a young man who fought in wars long before the air was a place of fighting. A young man who came to be known as Brother Lawrence. In the midst of the heat of a battle, it is said, Lawrence saw a barren tree. And there on the battlefield, he realized that within a few short months, the empty branches would be bursting with flowers. Lawrence saw this vision as a sign of God's ability to transform the human heart. He would enter the monastery and would go on to write the 17th century classic spiritual text, The Practice of the Presence of God, which is still but read by many today. When I first saw that window, I was sure that the dramatic, dramatic tongues of flame represented Pentecost. Now that I know that the window expresses a prayer for peace in honor of our servicemen and women, I acknowledge my original interpretation was a little off, but I still see Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is all about God's continuing work in our world to bring justice, to bring freedom, to bring love, and to change human hearts. And the tongues of flame in this window are not dainty little flickers. They lap down the glass, bright red. On a sunny day, red, red light is cast all over the inside of the nave from the window. And if you hold your gaze, it seems like the whole church might catch fire. That, to me, is how I imagine the Pentecost day. Not with little flashlights, but with pillars of flame. The Holy Spirit is less like a candle and more like a bonfire. The Spirit is the most neglected person of the Trinity. We Episcopalians may be especially circumspect. We wouldn't want to appear like those Pentecostals, after all, who speak in tongues and roll around on the floor. We're too refined for that sort of pageantry, am I wrong? Don't get, me, don't get nervous. I'll restrict our spiritual celebrations to ribbons and parades and birthday cakes. But I think we would do ourselves some good to spend more time with that person we used to call the Holy Ghost. Maybe we can render her a little less spooky. Jesus in the Gospel of John promises Philip that the Advocate will be with them. In fact, he says, this spirit lives in you abides with you. That word abide, it's one of the most important in all of scripture. We've actually had that word in the last several weeks gospel stories from John. And we get a sample of it this morning, all of that business about the Father being in Jesus and Jesus being in the Father and the disciples being in Jesus with the Father. It's funny math. I challenge you, though, to think of a time outside of church, outside the Bible or the hymnal, when you use the word abide. People used to say, I can't abide that. They don't much anymore. 
we tend only to use abide in scripture and church, which is a shame because abide is a great word. In Greek, the word is name. If we're looking for a way to explain abide today, you could say, hang in there. Translated that way, our gospel would read, the spirit hangs in there with you. My former rector in Washington, Luis Leon, used to point out that there's a big difference between hanging in there and hanging on. You hang on with your fingernails. Hanging on is something desperate. And all of us end up at that point in life, but Christianity is meant to bring us beyond it, beyond just hanging on. Hanging in there is something else. Abiding is something else. And Jesus tells us that the Spirit is with us always, abiding, helping us to do more than just hang on. The Spirit hangs in there with us. The Spirit continues to hang in there with the church, with us even today. There's a lot at stake on Pentecost with how we interpret this story. If we see it as something that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, we may be tempted to dismiss the little tongues of flame as a story for children. We might render it as a storybook picture like that in the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis. But I wonder, isn't there a danger with this kind of interpretation? Can it lead to us thinking of the Bible as a document frozen in time? in a mosaic. Many people of faith treat their scripture like it's a final rule book from God. I've heard the Bible called the manual for life. I've even seen a copy of the scriptures with the title manual, where the first three letters are capitalized, M-A-N, as if the Bible was written by dudes for dudes. Okay, that part may not be entirely off base. But if we treat the scripture as a manual, it might make it seem like the Bible has some sort of final crystallized word. Revelation is done. Pentecost invites us to ask whether this is true. Is the Bible a book of directions, plural, or a book of direction, singular, leading us ahead? Do we have the guts as people of faith, to look for God living and active among us. Belief in the Holy Spirit is a belief that God is not done with us, not done with creation. Revelation is ongoing. To believe in the Holy Spirit is to ask whether God can indeed do something new. Within the lifetimes of members of this congregation, we've seen some incredible changes in our world. We've gone from Jim Crow to President Obama. In the Episcopal Church, we've seen the ordination of women, and Pope Francis indicated this week that the door might be about to crack open in the Roman Church as well. Last year, on our Feast of Pentecost, very few people were here at Holy Communion. The bulk of the congregation was wearing red downtown at Christ Church Cathedral to help marry off your rector. 
Just a year ago, the state of Missouri didn't recognize Ellis in my marriage. We've seen a lot of change. Just as I saw Pentecost in that stained glass window in the National Cathedral that was really for the Air Force, I see Pentecost in all of these changes, the evolutions in our world. I think the Episcopal Church is an exciting corner of God's church to hang out in. While we're not prone to roll in the aisles or speak in tongues, perhaps we are deep believers in the Holy Spirit after all. We're ready to let the Spirit set us on fire. We're ready to be led into what God is doing next in our world. As a congregation, we're leaning into that work. Over the last year, we've discerned a set of values, welcome, diversity, and community. We've set bold goals to increase our footprint in the neighborhood, the city, and the world. We're hiring new staff. More about that in a moment. We're building up leadership teams. There's a lot of faith in this little church. Faith that God is not done with us. Pentecost is a day of celebration. Today we give thanks that Jesus' movement didn't end when he ascended into heaven. God continues to walk with us. The Spirit abides with us. And those tongues of flame continue to inspire us and lead us into what God is doing next. Amen.